0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: You hear the word sacrament or you know what what do you imagine or what do you think most people imagine? You don't have to give me the answer I'm looking for. I just kind of want to get a general sense of what people understand by that.
0: A ritual church people
1: do. A ritual that church people do.
0: It's also something that was ordained or Jesus said, "Do this."
1: It's some things that Jesus said to do. Yep. Yeah. One more person (laughs) thought? Come on. What comes to your mind first thing? It's like a, what do they call it, the Rorschach? Bread
0: and wine.
1: Bread and wine.
0: Something sacred.
1: Sacred? Sorry, say more. Something
0: just sacred, very holy.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Do you feel like you're clear on the topic? Uh, Do you feel like... Sorry, you didn't. What was the term that you grew up with? Ordinance. Kind of like what you were saying. So I don't know what this
0: denomination would
1: consider. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that we would use sacraments to describe what you call an ordinance. Some people say, what are some other? We heard christening instead of baptism. Um, Some places do dedications instead of baptism and then do baptism later. Uh, People say Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, there might be others that I'm missing. Um, some would say that there are more than two. Um, some would even include foot washing as a part of communion because at the Lord's Supper, the Lord did wash feet and say to do it. Um, and But a lot of places don't. Uh, and so what are some others beyond the, the typical two that people often call a sacrament? Marriage, Marriage um, stream unction. so like last rites, um, ordination, uh, um, confirmation. Um, and so, uh, so there's, I think that this is a kind of topic that there's a lot of confusion about potentially, am I right? Or at least there, I mean, there's just a lot of different ways that we talk about it. So at least today, kind of a goal is to be clear about what we mean around here. Uh, if you said ordinance in the past, we're talking about the same thing. We use the word sacrament, which is not in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> but hey, you know I mean? Baptism and communion is. Um, and uh, uh, um, we, we, we're we talking about baptism and, and Holy Communion when we say sacraments or the Lord's Supper, um, and not things like marriage and ordination and confirmation and last rites. And I'm forgetting another one. Fu- funerals, maybe? Holy orders. Well, yeah. Ordinate, ordination, holy orders. See what I'm saying? There's so many different ways that we talk about that. <laughs> um, uh, but because the baptism and communion, as you said, are the two in the Bible, that's clearly the things that Jesus said to do this. Uh, those are the only ones that we consider sacraments. The others are things that we do. We do confirm. We do do marriage. Um, but it's uh, it's their uh, their their rituals, their um, rites of passage. Um, The the difference is that um, baptism and communion, not only are they uh, things that the Lord told us to do, but we see them as means of grace, that they proclaim the gospel in the same way that the preached word proclaims the gospel. Um, But all that's just a, a, a preface to say, I think it'd be helpful. There's so much we could say, but let's just take a look at some passages in Scripture about these things okay because there's tons of theology that we could look at there's a lot of church tradition and history that we can think about around these topics but what does the bible actually say and then go from there Uh, and you know we're not going to look at everything but i picked a couple kind of highlight uh uh, bits to look at and then i gave you some references that may or may not be exhaustive on the topic probably not Uh, but if you want to further study uh, you could Um, So uh, for the first one, for for the topic of baptism, just a few different passages. If you haven't got the handout, there might be some extras kind of going around. Um, uh, Let's take a look at baptism. uh, Just a few different passages here. And, you know, as we're we're looking at this, uh, if you've got a pen or a pencil, maybe make note of anything that stands out to you or raises questions. If you don't, just... Make a mental note, you know, what's something that seems like a a, a point to really note or things that are confusing that are worth uh, sort of uh, discussing further. As Mark said last week, we could bat those around. Um, So this is um, this is from the end of Matthew's gospel. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then from Acts, after Peter preaches his sermon on Pentecost, we hear the audience say, Now when uh, they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And from Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's so many more passages we can take a look at, uh, but I thought that this was a good uh, broad sweep of several different topics uh, from these three different passages. Some overlaps, but some nuances. Um, What are some things you notice about baptism? What does the Bible tell us about baptism? At least here. No details of what it looks like. No details of what it looks like. Yeah. At least uh, yeah, at least not in these passages. Yeah. Tanya? I have a question
0: about why we
1: baptize infants versus baptizing someone who is able to repent and make the decision for themselves. I guess it's an age thing, maybe? Yeah, I mean that's a huge. that's one of the huge can of worms that I thought, I would hope to. nobody brought up right away. <laughs> But now that you have, let's address it. But I, I was hoping it would come up, but I hope we, we would say more before we got there. Uh, there are two huge controversial topics around baptism. Age, right? What's the other one? Mode. Mode as you said, there's no information here. Do we fully immerse or is, is something else like a sprinkling uh, or, or otherwise uh, sufficient? Um, and uh, so well, with the age thing... Um, I'll go out on a limb and say the Bible is not cl- explicit on it, and yet there's a way to interpret what the Bible's saying uh, that that we use uh, to normalize why we uh, baptize children. The first place is to think about the Old Testament uh, congruent sort of rite of passage to baptism, which is what circumcision. circumcision. We heard if you were at the nine o'clock service, Mark talked about Abraham. Uh, and the covenant that God made with Abraham and Abraham being justified by, fa- by his faith. Uh, if you're going to 11 o'clock, you'll hear that there. What does God tell Abraham after that, uh, that passage to do as a sign of his, his faith? To circumcise not only himself, but his whole household, whole. his family. It's a, it's a covenant, uh, sign signifying that faith. And we know in the New Testament, as Paul says elsewhere, like, uh, romans and, and galatians that it's not about the actual sign and we can interpret that in the same way with baptism that you know i could just take anybody outside in the rain and just be like baptize you in the name of the father right. son and the holy spirit it's probably not going to be efficacious because what's needed is faith um ooh, yeah be careful yeah, these, chairs <laughs> <are now laughs> these chairs are uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, We could use those for baptism. (laughs) Uh, So so there's that, the Old Testament congruence. But there's some passages down here that i put for you to study further. The third bullet point to consider on baptizing infants and young children. Uh, Jesus' own teaching about children coming to him. Uh, uh to have faith like children to enter the kingdom of God. And then the household baptisms and Acts and Paul mentioning that actually in the beginning of First Corinthians. Um and so our assumption is that the meant in the same way for Abraham that the household wasn't just uh the husband or wives of the adults they're talking about and their servants, but probably their children and grandchildren or any other uh children who who were in the household. And then also here uh In Acts chapter two, listen to. Did you notice what Peter says about the promise? It's for you and for your children. children. Uh, So that's that's uh, our interpretation of the scriptures for why we baptize children. And there's a problem though with with families getting their kids done. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we we like as a um, what do they call it? Fire insurance. Like uh, we have tons of families who come to us who probably grew up in the church or their families are here and we don't know them from Adam. And they want to they usually use words like christened. Um, we want to have our our children baptized because of a sort of fear that they'll end up like in limbo or something. It's just it's, it's bad theology. And pastorally, we want to address that uh, and hopefully share the gospel with them and say, uh, we'll baptize your children if you'll be members of the community and raise your children in the faith. That this is a covenant agreement to, uh, to share your faith with your children. And if you don't feel equipped to do that, let us help you do that. Uh, and come to church every Sunday so that the, you're being exposed to the word and feel confident sharing it with your children and, and praying with them. Um, and so uh, there's a problem on, with the baptizing of infants if it's just sort of a going through the motions kind of thing. You know, that it's an agreement in the same way that um, God had a covenant relationship with Adam. Does that answer the children's? And I'll just say, if you argue against that, you're on good, gr- you're on good grounds too um, in terms of there is no explicit language about baptism of children in the Bible and I will say, neither is there an explicit prohibition against it, okay? So it's one of those gray areas. Um, my, some of my friends say this, some of my friends say that, and I say this. And so does our church, basically. Yeah. So, again, um you can baptize a an infant here. Yep, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. I, I
0: think that's. Really, my question. So, therefore, there's really no faith in the baptism except as a covenant, uh, covenantally uh, putting the child under the covenant yeah. who might become a covenant
1: keeper. Yeah. and the faith resides in the um, <laughs> exactly. the yes, parent. So the pa- the, the faith right? should be in the parents, you know, <laughs> and the, the the person administering the baptism, and all the witnesses there who agree, as we say, and we hope you would you would take it seriously when we do public baptisms. Uh, I forget the wording, but what do we say something like, do you agree to kind of like encourage this family and to participate in the upbringing of this uh, child in faith? I long for us to take this stuff seriously. I think that too long we have um, been really nominal about this kind of stuff. Um, But... I long for a Christian movement of people who take what we're talking about seriously and the whole church when we shout, we will, really will agree to this idea that uh, we're going to help this family uh, maintain this covenant relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Paul. you telling us more of an outward sign to everybody that we as parents are choosing to raise our child in the church. It's not some incantation, you know. Right. And and when he is of age to accept Christ in his heart, then then he will... You know, so I love that... Bad idea, like how you explained
1: it like that to me. Yes, like totally. We need Bible. to be countercultural in 2017 and not say silly things like, well, I'm not going to force my faith on my children. I'm going to allow them to have the smorgasbord of yeah. all the postmodern concepts in the world to choose for themselves. <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible says no to train our children in the ways of the Lord. And so baptism entails the follow through. Of, uh, of, of sharing the best, most excellent news in the world to our children, right? You know, and so that they, uh, they're more likely to own it, you know, right. once there are uh, adolescents and adults, and to not, um, but not to be, um, um, not to discourage them at the same time and, and be super heavy-handed, because we've seen that happen as well, where parents... Um, lord it over their children, and then they react and they they leave. So really, having a sort of robust, loving, nurturing of the faith. Yeah, Andy. Yeah,
0: so, I know the church gave they gave us a book as well, but I thought one of the more poignant things was the fact that this is God's child that He has entrusted to you on earth. So like, we have to bat you know we have to baptize them because that's because that's what that's what you know we're told to do, and our job is to you know, try to nurture our, our children and have them grow in faith. But, you know, it's God's time. We're just, we're in charge of them while he's here. So
1: yeah, we're kind of cosmic father, par- yeah. foster parents. Well, on that score and
0: following up on the sermon today, I mean, but, but it's not really about what we're... It's his activity. It's about our yep. faith yep. that... that weird that, that he's going to be active for life.
1: Of that yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Important. Yeah. And how do
0: you, yeah. as, as clergy and parents, know when they've come to faith? Like, how, how do you have the assurance if they've been baptized and you're, put, you're entrusting that to the parents, then do you have any kind of follow-up or any accountability to when they actually put their faith and trust in the
1: Lord? Yeah, I mean, um, we, we depend probably too much on the confirmation to do that, but that is one place, the process of confirmation, um, it's its probably uh, not enough, you know? I mean, so that's why uh, it, it depends on not just the, the clergy. There's not enough of us to go around. But again, like I said, with, in the ritual where we say we all agree uh, to help encourage this family to raise this child in the faith. Um, so I think it's more nuanced than... Um, just simply relying on something like confirmation or the, the clergy to do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's why we shouldn't sort of just rely on the baptism as an empty ritual. Uh, this, this is all about relationship. And, um, and, and we're not the only pastors. All those who know the gospel are equipped to, to minister the word, including parents primarily to, to the children. Um, you mentioned a book. I have a list of uh, three helpful resources. These are two of them. They're both on infant baptism. Uh, uh, if you'd be interested in picking them up, we have them in our bookstore. One is by a Presbyterian though, um, by We, the clergy team, we all agree with what's being said here. This is by uh, two Anglicans, John Stott and Alec Motyer, the Ang- Anglican Evangelical Doctrine of Infant Baptism. The great thing about these two books, though, is it helps us to—they're un- they're helpful for understanding baptism beyond just infant baptism. So even if you're just curious about learning more and don't want to read a real thick book, these one or one or the other uh, are great. Anything else? Uh, we've dwelled on infant. B- <laughs> we're out of time. Uh, uh, anything else you notice from these passages about baptism besides infant baptism?
0: I think one of the key things is that it involves water and the word. Yeah. You have to have both. Yep. Um, I don't remember exactly where the story came from. My father may have used it in a sermon one time and said, You're in the desert, and someone confesses that they were not baptized, they wish to be baptized. He said, Spit, man, spit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and say the words. Yeah, you-
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's the water and the word, and this is a this is a, 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 a sort of a preaching ordinance. The the word of God is is at work. I think, uh, um, yeah,
0: I think too that we have to be baptized to share in Christ and, and what He
1: experienced Yeah, that's the Romans bit, right? Yeah. The yeah. death and resurrection language. Uh, yeah. Super helpful. That uh, and then and then the other two passages equated with repentance and repentance is a type of death. Uh, at least you know repentance of conversion uh, and then the assurances that we're also raised in faith in the same way that Christ was. So it's equated with Christ's death and and resurrection. Well, there's so much more we could say about baptism. As I said. Um, Take a look at what the Bible says and then go from there. And there, if you're curious, right, uh, about any of these topics below, the relationship to the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, Mark also has a great commission at the end of his gospel where says something similar to Matthew. Uh, I've given you those, all those passages on infant baptism if you want to look at them. And there are many um, conversions that happen in Acts And the importance here that I hope you see is that the coming to faith is synonymous with being baptized. That someone, like if they come to faith and they're not baptized, ought to be baptized. Uh, And I'm not saying that uh, it's required for salvation. It's just a part of the package. And Christ told us to do it. It's just in the same way that God told Abraham to circumcise his family. And yet, as Paul explains to us, the saving isn't in the circumcision itself. This is a matter of, of heart work inside the thing invisible. Uh, and yet, uh, conversion entailed baptism in Acts. And then there are plenty of other passages you want to explore. Some of them are more obvious than others, including some stuff from the Old Testament. Uh, and then let's take a look at uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. Communion, by the way, is not in the Bible also. There are words that you can extrapolate. That might mean communion, but um, Lord's Supper is. Um, so, uh, so that's probably a, a more accurate f- phrase to use, although it's fine. Um, let's take a look at, uh, this is uh, probably one of the most helpful passages on communion, though it's, it's, it doesn't have everything. Actually, there's some things that Paul says in the previous chapter, chapter 10, that are helpful too. Uh, but this is probably the most exhaustive uh, passage that talks about communion. And he also basically repeats what Christ says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke at the Lord's Supper. Uh, But in the following instructions, I do not uh, commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Background. Remember the context of 1 Corinthians. There's some screwy things happening in the community, uh, especially when they come together for communal worship. And so that's what he's kind of talking about here. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Uh, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be uh, condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry... Let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. What What are some things you notice uh, in terms of the description of the Lord's Supper? Um, some things we ought to consider. What is it about? What's happening here? Does this look anything like our church on Sunday? Etc. 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 Any thoughts? I don't really understand this <laughs> <laughs> Like what about it? What is he mad about? Anybody have any... What's
0: going on in, this, in the church? Right? I, mean, I mean, obviously, they're dividing. There's
1: division. Yeah, you, get, you kind of get a sense from this passage. There's more information elsewhere. Yeah. What comes after this passage? You all know 1 Corinthians 13, right? Yeah. Which is about love, yeah. which we always forget when we do uh, marriages. It's sort of decontextualized. It's kind of strange because Paul is actually addressing what's happening in the, the gathered community of the church in Corinth, uh, there seems to be a real lack of genuine love uh, for each other. Um, and he gives some description here of what's going on when they get together.
0: I mean, some people are eating, some people aren't getting food, some people are just getting drunk. Um, <laughs> and it, it seems to me that they think they're doing it in the Lord's name somehow or another, and they're just saying this is all wrong.
1: Yeah. Motives are wrong. wrong. There might be uh, sort of um, first and second class Christians uh, in the room. Uh, People are not taking it seriously uh, for what it is. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. People are getting sick and dying. Uh, You know, I mean, Paul is like. Take this seriously. Um, take take uh, take communion seriously, uh, and uh, if if your heart is in uh, the, the wrong place, just refrain right now from taking communion and, and deal with that. Actually, our church tradition used to, and we we do now at the five o'clock. I do a, a abbreviated version of it our church tradition used to read this really lengthy exhortation that basically is based out of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, <coughs> chapter 11. Um, I just realized this is chapter 11, not 12, and I talked about 13. But you get what I'm saying. Uh, it's coming. Uh, the uh, that um, They would give an exhortation that's based out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 of like, you know, take this stuff seriously, repent of your sins, uh, and, and that it's not just a matter of our relationship with God. It is that. But it's also what? It's and This is why we use the word communion, not just communion with God, but uh, it's a communal meal. And I mean, here's one way that I think about it. I can't have people over to my house for dinner if I'm like in a conflict with them. Right. I mean, it's just it's really difficult Or to go to their house. I've got to. Sort it out. And he's saying that y'all aren't starting, you know, I mean, there there are these divisions in the community. uh, And and this is uh, for the community to be reconciled not only to God, but to one another. Um, And we see this in church. You know, people go to the opposite side of the church not to... To be anywhere near someone else, you know, who they're in a disagreement with or don't like. Um, maybe they don't go to a particular minister to receive communion because they don't like that minister. They go to the other. Paul's saying, like, that's problematic. Uh, let's let's not do let's not do that. Anyway, anything else about communion well, that uh, I
0: think too realizing that this group they were having Passover meal when this original originally
1: happened. Yeah, the Lord's Supper was at the Passover. It was
0: at the Passover, and that was a special time that was to represent a special relationship between the people of Israel and God, where he's saying, you guys are treating this like, you know, just a pitch in.
1: Yeah, so the Passover was an annual uh, meal for Israel to remember the exodus from Egypt, um, their deliverance from bondage and slavery um, and to remember that every year. And uh, what Christ is doing basically at, uh, at, uh, the, in the upper room is saying, don't just do this uh, once a year now, do it every time you guys gather. And it's for the new covenant, the new exodus, for delivery from not from Egypt, but from bondage in terms of Uh, sin and death and evil and satanic powers and things like that um and that's a huge deal (laughs) it like the biggest thing on earth you know i mean so when we come together and remember it and that the body the body and blood were broken and spilled on our behalf and the the bread and 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 uh, the wine are helping us to remember that uh, for us that yes, we ought to take it seriously, and not just get drunk on on that wine and, and things like that, uh, but but most most especially that therefore it 's a, it's a, it's a means of grace this is like a, this is a sermon enacted to um, to to as Stephen mentioned earlier to help us to remember that God is at work in our lives and he 's actually at work in communion, <coughs> not in terms of as uh, Roman Catholicism would say, becoming the actual body and blood of Christ but in the way that Christ said when two or more of you are gathered together there I am in the midst of you um, and so Christ is at work in our faith in the same way that we talked about with baptism uh, with, with communion and so there is a lot of similarities between the two sacraments in terms of, of God's work not in an empty way in the water the bread and the wine but in a spiritual manner. So that was Scripture. There's more Scripture that you can look at. We're kind of running out of time, so I want to say a few things quickly. There's more you can look at here at the bottom, and I've give, given some categories um, and uh, mentioned the Passover there. And on the next page, there are some suggested readings. These two on baptism, as I said, are helpful not just for understanding infant baptism, but baptism in general, and by extrapolation a little bit, communion. Um, And then I want to point to you our Anglican tradition Um, and uh, the um, the following pages. I've uh, I've copied and pasted the original Elizabethan text and a modern rendition by a scholar from South Africa uh, in modern language. But the theology is the same. It's just been cleaned up for our contemporary ears are uh, are the the articles from the, our 39 Articles of Religion, which is our uh, historic confession of faith in Anglicanism, uh, one of our, what we call three formularies, and this is the shortest one that um, lays out doctrine. It's not exhaustive, but the main context for the 39 Articles of Religion was a dispute about sacraments in general. So a lot of the, um, the, uh, The the articles are answering questions about the sacraments. I commend those to you to take a look at their good, pithy statements that answer a lot of the questions we've explored here in more depth. And uh, there's a scholar here who spends about half the year in town at Beeson. uh, And sometimes he's here at the Advent named Gerald Bray. But he travels around a lot. Uh, He just came out with this book a few years ago called The Faith We Confess, an exposition of the 39 articles. And the, you know, this is good to know. And then if you want some interpretation of what it's talking about, Braid does a really good job of saying more about those articles. Uh, I hope that was helpful and yet not enough. (laughs) And next week, uh, Cameron Cole is going to come in to teach, but he can't make it to be with us. So I'm going to go ahead and teach the lesson. We're going to talk about discipleship and what exactly that means. Okay. Uh, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord